On May 7, 2011, directors David Cromer and Michael Halberstam sat down for a joint interview on artistic leadership in today's theater. The following program is a recording of the conversation that took place. Hi, I'm SDC director Karen Eisenberg, and you are listening to Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the SDCF and the American Theater Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Thank you all for coming today to our uh, Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation one-on-one conversation with David Cromer and Michael Halberstam. David Cromer um, is directing the current production of House of Blue Leaves on Broadway. He also directed the acclaimed productions Downtown of Our Town and The Adding Machine. Um, He's a MacArthur... uh, Foundation Fellow in 2010, the Genius Awards. Um, and he's won two OBs and three Lortel Awards. Um, and Michael Halberstam is the Artistic Director of Writers Theatre in Glencoe, Illinois. Um, he's directing uh, the current production of A Minister's Wife for Lincoln Center Theatre. And he was our 2010 Zelda the Chandler Award winner um, that SDCF gives out every year for excellence in the region. Thank you all for coming, and here is David Cromer and Michael Halberstam. Hi, I'm David Cromer. This is Michael Halberstam. Hi. Um, So... uh, why don't we just jump right into the thick of things? Sure. So the, the purpose of these podcasts, I think, is to have a discussion seriously about the field. So we thought we'd chat for about uh, an hour, 15, and then maybe throw it open to a few limited and focused questions. Um, so I, I feel like one of the things that's been... Uh, David and I, we've known each other now for... 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. We met as actors at yeah. an audition yeah. in Chicago. Um, uh, that's right, yeah. Who got that? I got that. Uh, you got that. <laughs> Uh, it was me. <laughs> I, I often credit actually losing that audition with the entire foundation of Writers Theatre. My, my bitterness founded a theatre company. You're, you're welcome. From my. <laughs> um, Very good. Yeah, so we've, yeah, we've known each other a long time, and Michael's hired me uh, uh, numerous times to work at his theatre. And, and yeah, we've just known each other a long time and have been good friends to each other in terms of sort of helping each other through um, the artistic night sweats. Indeed. You know? <laughs> we, we get on the phone at yeah. 2 o'clock in the morning yeah. and, and talk about theater. And My previews are bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Come I, tell me it's good. Okay. <laughs> well, which, which actually we can get to because yeah. that's, that's sort of partly one of the most important aspects of being in the preview process. Yes. I mean, I'm, I, one of the things that we always do is we talk about what's now. So yeah. I think what might be really interesting to talk about is what's now, what's going on mm. between the two of us, which is mm. um, uh, you're in post-review process with House of Blue Leaves yeah. Yeah. and how you evaluate that process. Yeah. And I'm in uh, <laughs> the process of being reviewed. Yeah. Uh, and how does a director navigate that process and yeah. how do you view your own success resultantly? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, reviews for House Blue Leaves were decidedly mixed. Decidedly mixed. And yes. how, how has that affected you? How, are you? how are you approaching your work? How do you look at the show now that you're uh, in, in the aftermath of that experience? That's an incredibly... There's probably not an easy answer to that. That's an incredibly complicated thing. Uh, one of the things I, uh, I, I sort of... To, to sort of pre-apologize for that is... I, I, 
I'm already, I've ground the conversation to a halt. <laughs> I have such a complicated relationship to that. Do you know what I mean? It's like I, 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 I feel I think when I'm working very strongly about I want, I think it's this. I feel strongly about this. I'm not easily swayed. I'm not easily sort of talked into changing it uh, to rolling with whims. I, I, I generally have a very hard line through through my my, my plans for the production, and. Um, you know, part of the job is kind of be strong for everyone to go like, you know, who cares what they think? But I, I just am so horribly insecure that I really do care what they think. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, you can't. There's not one answer to that because some people who write about it are um, uh, great thinkers, and if they don't like it, you're, you're you're sort of like you're fascinated by what they thought. And some people who you know uh, who um, you know just there's all there's all there's you know this giant uh, uh, range of criticism. And, uh, uh, but I'm just so insecure and so in need of like praise and validation that I can get really kind of um, depressed if it's not, if it's not well received and, and sad. And I also had like sort of a bubble of a couple of years where like even if it was terrible, I felt like they kind of wrote nice things about me anyway because it was like, well, we better say something nice because he's, you know, the guy this year. And, uh, <laughs> you know. So do you, I mean, uh, do you critique your own success in, in, on the project on the basis of how the reviews have affected you? When you look at the show, do you allow, do you give a review that kind of power, generally speaking? And has that changed over the years? I mean, we, you know, in Chicago, we were very lucky for... Um, uh, ten years to have Richard Christensen, yeah, who was yeah. really building the Chicago scene. But yeah. I think, and we were Richard Christensen was the chief critic of the Chicago Tribune for and thirty years or so, and he was he went everywhere. He was yeah. maybe one of the first critics to sort of go outside of his comfort zone and actually go into every small storefront that yeah. he, he he could go and view them alongside the the Goodman Theater. Scene. Yeah, yeah. I think he's credit. A lot of people rightly credit him with the foundation of the Chicago theater scene. Mm-hmm. We were also, at the time that he was seeing us, we were a 50-seat theater in the back of a bookstore exclusively yeah. in Glencoe. And the, um, uh, I think there was a certain degree of critics coming to the shows showering us with praise just by virtue of the fact that they could not believe we had managed to cram Richard II into the yeah. 50-seat. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. And when we moved into a more mature space, and as Chicago has become a m- more mature field, the criticism is naturally the bar has yeah. raised, and suddenly we're not loved every show that yeah, we yeah, 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 yeah. I remember the first time we got a slightly negative review, and I was throwing things around. Yeah. Like, <laughs> slightly and, negative. Yeah. It's slightly <laughs> negative. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my, my associate artistic director almost quit on yeah. that day. I think she was like, you know, the heck with you. Heck yeah. with you Worst things slightly. have happened yeah. to people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, yeah. The dope authority. Maybe it, it's... Was we had we had a moment during uh, Street Cut um, when, you, when David came up. Was it you said about your preview? Or, no, about your dress rehearsal. You were fr- really frustrated with your dress rehearsal, and you yeah. said, "This is a disaster." <laughs> no, Darfur is a disaster. <laughs> it's a nightmare. Darfur yeah. is a nightmare. Yes. <laughs> your preview was merely professionally inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wonder. But I think maybe what it really is, and this sort of gets down to the bone, is yeah. that we're both very, very hypercritical of ourselves yeah. 
And when a negative review comes out, that burrows straight down to our own insecurities, and we allow it to define our conversations. Uh, And I don't think, to answer the question, I don't think it's as simple as if they say your show is not funny, you know, your House of Beliefs isn't funny enough. He he took this approach, and it's, and it, you know, and we didn't like it. It's it's supposed to be funnier. I don't immediately go, the right, the show's not funny enough, but I said, like, I, I, I take it as, like, you know, I sort of get, I sort of sink to, like, this part of me that I that this, this thing I tried, this thing that I thought was right, someone saying that isn't right. You go, of course it isn't right. <laughs> you go straight to yeah, the negative. Yeah. One doesn't yeah. hold on to. I mean, why? Well, there's a sort of a fuck you moment. There's sort of, oh yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Can you swear on podcasts? I was because, just thinking yeah. about that. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we'll see. Uh, 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 yeah. To heck with you, I said. Uh, yeah, so, so I... So I uh, yeah, yeah, like... Uh, but it depends on the moment. It depends on the mood. But there's part of you that goes like... As you're... As you're um, I can't remember who it was. It was, it was some actor who... Some well-received actor was being interviewed. He goes, what do you do after each shot? He goes, well, you go home and, and, and just... Just thank God they didn't catch on. You know what I mean? So, like, you get that and you go, oh, God, they caught me. You know, it's just the same trick over and over again. You know, so, yeah, so I, yeah, so I, I, uh, I, uh, and you're not supposed to, you, the, the thing that's, I think, is a little interesting about this that I've been thinking about a lot lately is the fact that we're not, you're supposed to say, I never read them, or I, I never read them, and I don't care what they say, which I think is bullshit. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and it's maybe a, a, a healthier, stronger ideal to not do that, to, to, to not care and to only uh, believe in your own work um, and say, this is what I made. And, you know, and I like to think a lot of the time I feel that way. But it's, it's not practical because if you didn't care what anyone thought, you just wouldn't do it. The, I, I don't believe the idea when someone says, I'm just here, I just do it for the work, I just do it because I want to do this. If you just wanted to do work, you would do it in your room. If you really, really, really didn't care what anybody thought, you wouldn't have to do it in front of people. But why trust, great, one, oh. why trust one person who writes yeah. for a newspaper? I mean, I agree with yeah. you 100%. Yeah. I actually, one of the uh, great things about being a founder is you can, you can have uh, little be- bouts of diva um, behavior. Everywhere. And I actually asked my organization to protect me for yeah. three years from reading reviews. Yeah. And I did not read my reviews yeah. for three years. Yeah. But it wasn't because I didn't care. It was because I cared too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I was very specific to articulate that. Mm. Um, what is it that makes us trust this person whose, whose word happens to be in print over, say, a close friend mm-hmm. who has an equally, we hope, um, uh, pers- uh, fresh perspective, of subjective, objective perspective on our work? Here's my unhealthy answer for that. Because the person in print, uh, because your enemies are going to read that. Ha. Because the people who hated you in high school are going to read that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and then from a purely naked moment of like sort of insecurity and need, I think you're saying it's because more people, because it's Im- more embarrassing because it's in print. That's horrifyingly true. Is that? Yeah, yeah. That's right. yeah it's you don't that's what want my business card says. Yeah. Horrifying. That's horrifyingly true. That's horrifyingly true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> so in a nutshell, the answer Special to my skill. question is sort of terrifying. Yeah. Is that we? <laughs> We allow our reviews to evaluate us because we're worried about what our enemies from high school think. Yes, yes, they're everywhere. But no, they're, and 
I'm trying to come up with the idea that if I admit that and know that, then it, then it can't kill me to know that about myself. Do you know what I mean? And I didn't run and change everything. I didn't run into, I didn't run back into rehearsal saying, funnier, you know, bigger, louder, faster. I didn't at all. And, and to, to, I don't know, to, to, you know, when I, then I, I go with my cast and my cast is, the cast of that show is incredibly happy. They're having a blast. They've decided to not, you know what I mean? They, 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 I don't know to what extent people read or talk about them. I mean, everyone sort of knows they were, it was a big mix. Um, and, uh, and, uh, but they're kind of having a blast. Well, so when I'm with them, I'm like, like, you know, we're all, we all take care of each other. Casts you know? are learning not to, and that's one of the interesting things is from our perspective, in some degree, we have to read them because we have to know how our work is functioning, especially if we're working in a commercial venue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little less important at Lincoln Center where they already have a, mm-hmm. uh, a subscription base. And, and actually in Glencoe, we've noticed uh, that our review week is actually preview week. We have 5,700 subscribers, uh, and uh, they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And we will see a spike in the box office. Our most significant spike in the box office comes preview week when the audience actually gets home and, and, and interacts with each other, mm. probably through social media, I would yeah, imagine, yeah. Through, through, through the Internet, through, through mm-hmm. uh, Twitter, through Facebook. Um, Gosh, I completely got off track. Where were we headed with no, this? Um, oh, oh, you have to read. Yeah. But casts actually have stopped. My, all of my casts have actually mm. sort of learned how to not talk about them right. backstage. Right. So that, I think, for actors, it can be much more damaging than for directors. Mm-hmm. So directors, at least, we can walk away from our project, whereas actors are still living the project every night. And if they go in and really focus on specific aspects of the review, positive or negative, I think they can really start to cannibalize their work. I had a very good lesson early on as an actor. I was 19 years old, and I got my first sort of professional job in Chicago, and it was my very first review, and I was just absolutely trashed. I mean, it was three paragraphs about how terrible I was, which I won't, but could recite to you if you want. Uh, 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 and and I, was a, I was a kid. I was just completely... I was decimated by it. I mean, I was absolutely destroyed by it. I, I, like, I woke up the next morning thinking, maybe it was a dream. Oh, it wasn't a dream. Like, just, like, outsized. Like, like someone had died for some reason. And then I did the show that night, and a friend of mine was at it. He's, well, clearly all you were thinking about up there was your terrible review. And so, like, I learned then that even if I knew it, you still have to stick with the program. You're still stay, staying with the program. So I, I like to think I can do all that stuff and then stay with whatever the program is. But, you know... That's the process, isn't it? It's the ability to be able to go back into the room regardless and breathe through whatever neurosis mm-hmm. it is that is, uh, that is attacking you in, in terms of how you, mm-hmm. you, you view your work uh, on the basis of the criticism of others and still continue with, with whatever it was you had in mind for whatever project you're working mm-hmm. on. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I, I, faced my, I faced a big fear the other night. We had... Um, we had a major critic at the show the other night, mm-hmm. and I decided instead of sitting outside the house, getting slowly drunk um, <laughs> on a bottle of very fine champagne, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually went in to watch the show, yeah. and I decided not to allow that sort of third eye voice, the, yeah. the, criti- the critical voice, to 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 dominate my conversation, yeah. but to actually enjoy my production. I started to go in on press nights once because I had to which was um, five years ago I did a play at the six years ago now I did a play at the Barrow Street Theater uh, 
that Scott Morphy produced called Orson's Shadow, which is a play by Austin Pendleton. And we, and the actor who was playing Laurence Olivier, um, was, his voice was just coming and going. He was severely losing his voice for the preview period. So we started sort of canceling shows. We didn't have understudies yet. We were canceling shows, and we were strategically canceling previews so that he could get through the week, so that he could rest and improve but still do shows. And then suddenly John Lahr from The New Yorker decided he had to come like a week before press. Mm-hmm. And so we said no, and uh, he said, well, then, then I won't be able to get to it. You know, he threatened. He said, well, I won't be able to get to it for three months or something. So it was sort of like, well, we have to. So it was a preview. It was we had strategically canceled, like, one before it so that he had all day to rest. And then he had to, Anyway, so I had to watch the one where, like, the New Yorker was there. And I hadn't sat in a show where the where the press was at in in ten years prior to that. So so like, and then suddenly, and then, then I sort of do now. I sort of can take it now. So at least I can deal with that. Because you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, the show. By the way, is terrific. I encourage everybody to go see House of Blue Leaves. It's a a, a, a wonderful production. Here's an alternative view, and it's not to say that the uh, that the criticism is in, uh, invalid yeah. when it comes towards it. It's just somebody else's perspective. Yeah. From my perspective, it's a terrific evening in the theater. Maybe, maybe let's let's sort of move away from criticism and mm-hmm. go to just to, to start with actual process. Yes. Um, and we, one of the questions that I think directors get asked a lot, and I think the, the answer is, is always much more mundane yeah. than I think <laughs> you know, one wants it to be, which is how do you come to your projects? And I think this is, there's a really practical answer to that. They asked. Somebody asked. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah it's, right? It's, I mean, it's <laughs> funny that yeah. outside the industry there's this sort of notion that the directors are running around yeah. with dream projects yeah. and theaters are waiting to yeah. open doors to you to say, come in and do this play. Yeah. Whereas actually it's, it's usually just the right confluence of circumstances yeah. with producer and or director. And there's a, mil- and there's a million possibilities. I mean, one, one show I did, I was just hired to replace somebody. Hmm. You know, the, on The Dazzle, I was just hired to replace Abigail Desser because she got pregnant. Uh, um, uh, 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 it was a, just a play I directed in Chicago a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, it's, it, there's there's a combination of things. And and and, and in having had like a li- over the last sort of you know uh, ten, ten, 10 or I don't know maybe thirteen or fourteen years in in Chicago, having um, had some sort of mounting, sort of advancing up in my career a little bit in Chicago and. Um, Getting to the point where I would get called in to places, and they said, "What do you, what do you want to do? What would you like to do?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> bring out these things." And they would go, um, "Yeah." <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're sort of like you, you have to be there finally. They're going to say whatever you want to do, except that, you know. And, uh, and uh, I think I did that. So <laughs> no, no, in fact, quite the opposite. Yeah. Um, um, uh, uh, but. Uh, yeah, so so like even in the even in the great moments of let's do whatever you want to do, they don't actually want to do what you want to do. So you never really get to do that that thing. Uh, uh, but the other the other part of that is, but this is maybe this is a little off topic, but this is something that I worry about a lot, which is once they do let you do whatever you want to do, once somebody does say, okay, yeah, we'll do that, and then everyone gets behind it and they just keep saying yes to you. Incredibly dangerous. Incredibly, incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And why is it? Why is it dangerous? Because without obstacles, uh, you are. This is going to be a generalization. This is a lot of gray areas. It would be very nice to have your your artistic plans uh, uh, supported and manifested completely unfettered. It would be lovely. 
um, and, and maybe sometimes it is, um, if there's nobody pushing back ever saying, why? Why do you, really? Why do you want that? You know, like an artistic director or something. And you, you know, you, you, uh, uh, when I work, uh, the last couple times I've worked, well, always when I've worked at Writers, uh, Michael Sears very, very, very focused on manifesting the, 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 the creative team's plans. Uh, just, it, it is policy. It's not, they're not a say no first and see if they beg for it. But you always need to hear why. Yes. You know, and it's never well, like that's interesting. Yeah. Because I've been thinking yeah. a lot about if this. If you lately. explain it to me, I'll get behind it. If you if you tell me why you want this, if you want branches over the stage or whatever, you know, if you explain to me why you want this, then I can say, okay, that's why, all right, everyone, this is what he's trying to do. So Yes. No, I've been thinking yeah. about that a lot lately because you've 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 had you've said this a couple of times. I remember you said actually <laughs> picnic came to almost your opening and you said you've said yes to everything I've asked for. I said, Well what's the problem with that? You said, Well now I've got no one to blame if it doesn't <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I am, I, I do believe that as a theater company, if you say yes um, to your artists, hopefully if your artists understand the, the limitations of right. the company, yeah. uh, that you will, you will challenge and help us stretch up yeah. our boundaries at the same time that you will never take advantage of the, yeah. um, the opportunity of, uh, of the theater company saying yes yeah. all the time. But then, you know, what happens next time when we do a show together and you want actual horses on the stage yeah. or something? Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting... How do you apply the... I, I'm really thinking as an artistic director how one applies the... Um, uh, how one applies boundaries um, yeah. to artists so that they feel that they do have obstacles... Yeah. Without actually blocking the creative process. I suppose that's the, 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 the voyage of an artistic director in a way. And it's the voyage of every project. And there is no way to get great at it. I think you're always, always, always going to have, you're going to have the absolute best possible people and the best possible minds and all the right arguments. And then it's either going to work or it doesn't. Now, that's the larger question is who determines whether it works or not. Is that if This goes back to the first question. Is, are the critics the ones who decide whether it works or not. No, the critics are just the loudest. The critics become public record and history of what they thought of your show, that's and your enemies read it. That's, that's all that. <laughs> Unless once in a while somebody really brilliant, some, some really brilliant writer, you know, it's Kenneth Tynan or somebody like that's writing about something, and you go like, oh, wow, that's really true. Um, uh, uh, but it's, it's always, there's just, there's no, <laughs> there is no, you know, we talk about process. You can keep getting better at it, trying, but you, it's all just a bunch of, things you try and there's kind of a general consensus as to whether they sort of work or not and then and then you just have to move on to the next one you know it seems to me that um finding that balance between humility and ego is vital for survival in this business because you have to i mean we're both uh, artists who at this point in our career might be said to have met with a certain amount of what the outside might perceive as yes. success. Yeah. And both artists oh, who view ourselves continually in, in the light of failure, yeah, yeah, constantly yeah. cannibalizing ourselves and, yeah. and demoralizing ourselves. On the yeah. other hand, I think that is, uh, that is the process that helps keep our work honest. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. I mean, wouldn't you say that when you're in the rehearsal and room... And therapists yeah. in business. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it's not like you, you bring out your lortels onto the first That's day right. of rehearsal. <laughs> Proof. Yeah. Proof. <laughs> 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 
So let's I go refer back. to them every now and again. Yeah. <laughs> These are my friends. <laughs> These are my only friends. <laughs> <laughs> they have a seat at the table. Okay, we have to turn please our cell phones off. Please turn off. Yes. Yeah. We are we are theater professionals. Um, um, uh, so going back to actually why you start with a project in the first place, because I think that's uh-huh. that's that actually circles around here. What is your way into a project when you've been asked to when you've been asked to direct it? Where do you start? I mean, when you're reading the script to direct it, right? Okay, when you've well, said yes, yeah, let's yeah. Say the price you've done, you meant to right? Do the the price. price, the price. Oh wow, wow, hard to remember what the what the deal with the price was. Price. Um, uh, David directed the price at Writers Theatre in ninety. No, no, it would be two thousand. It would be yeah, two thousand and one or two, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, um, well, that was one where that was one where uh, you know that's um, Michael just called me and asked me to read it and direct it, and and um, it's really not a play I know that well. I mean, I love Arthur Miller, but like I love Death of a Salesman, and sometimes I have to sit through the Crucible, and, and you know, and all my sons is the one that isn't Death of a Salesman and stuff like that. And I understand that sounds great. <laughs> Ignorant and disrespectful, but that's those are my middle names, you know. and uh, 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 and uh, 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 and so I didn't know it very well. Well, that's that's just one where like it sort of defined the idea that like when you're the job when you're offered something is if you can get into it is to it's like very it's a, like a high level of prostitution, which is I have to we have to convince the play we're in love with it. You know what I mean? I can trick the play into thinking I, I love it. You know, um, uh, 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 and 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 if I'm good at that, I will be rewarded. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> financially, yeah. and uh, uh, I don't know the price. The price was uh, the price was. Uh, it was actually. I remember that phone call. Yeah, I was so excited. Uh, yeah, that I, D- Dennis Zacek, who is the retiring artistic director of Victory Gardens, we were in London together, and I was saying I was thinking of doing the price. He said you should do the price. I said I was thinking of asking David to direct. He said you should do the price. You should ask David Cromer to direct. I'm so excited that I have this project for David, yeah. and I pick up the phone and I call you from London to say. What do you think about the price? Oh, jeez, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Let, let me get a copy of the play and yeah. take a look at it. <laughs> you know, I mean, and you know, yeah, it, yeah, that was an extraordinary piece of theater. Well, that's one of those plays that just is. There, nothing about that play is sexy. Like nothing about that play when you look at it is sexy. It's sort of like it's about like these sort of two sort of you know, 50-year-old brothers, and they're in the attic, and they're talking about selling furniture, and then an old man comes in, and then, you know, it's like, what are you supposed to... It's just, but it's... Yeah, you know, exactly. But that was a, that was a, that was a lesson in, um, you know, when you're young and you're directing, you, you think that the story of the play is what's cool about it, or, like, whether it's, there's something... You know what I mean by sexy, not sexy, like whether the people are pretty or they're having sex, but, like, that, that, it's, that there's something sexy about it, that it's, you know, that it's about junkies or something, you know? Um, um, so you, you, you know, big artistic what? directorial statement that that's you right, make exactly. two or three like times a, yeah, yeah, the play. Exactly, that's a, right. A third act um, reveal. That's right, a third act reveal, yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting. Now what do I do? Uh, 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 yeah, I, I think the, the way into that was uh, the way into that was probably the space. I think. Oh, um, interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, you just—I don't know. You, 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 you have to just deter. You look at it. You say, "Is there anything sort of truthful? Is there anything about you know really about, recognizably about humanity in here?" And of course, it's Arthur Miller, so of course there is. And it's—I uh, I can't probably speak very articulately about 
what that play's about because I haven't thought about it in a long time. But um, I think that uh, Writers Theater, we were going to be in the bookstore and it was 50 seats and it was a very, and the stages, the room's not much bigger than this whole stage area, mm-hmm. I would say. The room's about that size. So you end up with a far less acting area in that space than we have on this wooden platform. Um, uh, and um, I think the, the, the approach to that was, okay, well, you're going to put these, uh, people, these two men who haven't seen each other in a long time in a very small space together. You're going to cram them together. Um, and uh, and, um, and it, the place is clotted with furniture, which means they're not going to have, which means they're going to be, have these towers of stuff around them. And, uh, and no one's going to be able to move, and you're not really going to be able to get out. Um, and that's just the nature of I mean, that's one of the things you have to decide about when you're working at Writers Theater, which is which is it is intimate. How do you make how do you make that value? How do you make that intimacy valuable? Because you can be in small theaters all the time, and people are, the show is still acting like it's in a big theater. And you can still feel like there's this weird I'm performing for you, and there's this weird static between the audience and that. But so that was I think the way into that was just that everyone is going to be kind of stuck in there. I think this is you know it's very interesting. I would have said the actors, and oh. I suddenly realized it's a fun. No, no, it's actually interesting. It's a fundamental. Um, difference in our approach, and I think it's something I tried to shift on this recent play mm-hmm. in terms of my thought Minister's about how to go Minister's Wife. Sorry, We're basically here to plug our show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I don't know when the podcast goes up. Maybe. Mm. Um, That's right. Um, the, but I did actually try to completely change my, my in to this particular production. Mm. You start with an environment, mm. and you frequently start with an environment, and I think it's one of the things that makes your plays so good is that you uh, that makes your <laughs> I'm very articulate mm. uh, that makes your plays uh, so extraordinary actually is that you create an environment and then you cast it extraordinarily well and then you figure out how to edit and shape what goes on in that environment your environments are always though intensely actor friendly um unusual in that you would not nat- normally expect to see the play under those circumstances mm-hmm. and um, very easy for the actors to inhabit. They're real. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I-, I usually start with the cast and I haven't really been very good about actually creating the environment and mm-hmm. I end up sort of banging my head against a wall for the first week of rehearsal as I tried to create the environment. That, mm-hmm. that was a very different experience on The Minister's Wife. Well, uh, and, and that, but did you... Wait, wait so, so this time you, you were more focused on the environment. M- much so. Okay. I mean, I, yeah. really, um, I, I really put a lot of time into what that furniture would look like and how it would actually function as a real room. Uh, Alan Moyer, I remember yeah. him talking about he wanted to put a sofa upstage left, but he wanted it to be looking across so that he could see both out of the window, close to the fireplace, mm. and yet that Candida would be using it as somewhere that she could come in and sit by the fire and watch him work mm. when he had to work late into the night. Yeah. So then you suddenly have a tangible, practical area yeah. that the actress, when she comes in, she can use that information yeah. or not use that information, but she has a space she can own. Yeah. That she the room can has a function. Yeah. The room has a function. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Uh, one of the things that's always like, um, we're talking about furniture placement. You know, literally, just furniture <laughs> placement is sort of the argument in every show. And, and, uh, and there's this standard set of furniture placement that we've all seen, which is the couch is sort of in the middle on a little angle, and then the chair is sort of on a weird angle. Or there's that weird sitcom version of furniture, which is the couch is in the middle of the room. And so help me God, who in this room's couch is not against the wall? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? 
Your couch is not against the wall? Actually, our couch is against the wall, isn't it, Jack? <laughs> Most people's couch. Okay, hand up your couch is against the wall. That's right. That's what I like to see. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, uh, no, but just like this sort of like this sort of this, this random decision about furniture. Just, I guess so you can see. So when people are sitting on the couch, they're open, you know? Instead of, like, what does the room do? Like, what's the practical use of the room, you know? If, so, if you yeah, have just, a couch that's floating, you have to find something to anchor it. Like, yeah. for instance, one of the things that you have usually when you have a couch in the middle of the room is you have a little table right behind it yeah, that yeah. has some function yeah. and a relationship to the wall. Right, right. So, But it does have to be real right. and practical. It just has to, yes, it, and it literally has to be practical. Like, what goes on in that room? And one of the things about a minister's wife is it's a working room. Um... So that's the thing. There's, there's, there's home plays and work plays. This is both because they, they both live in this room and they, and they work in this room. And um, uh, um, I would say that's true of House of Blue Leaves, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a home play and work yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because he writes because he writes music. Leading to the yes. the most wonderful and glorious line in the show when she walks on and sees the nuns and says, "Artie, did you bring work home from, from the me? office?" Yeah. <laughs> it's one of our laughs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, 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 well, I, and, and minister's wife, that room functions incredibly well. That is one of your best sort of physical footprints. That's one of your best, your best shows in terms of, like, how the room is used and stuff. It isn't, it doesn't, not that it does, but, you know, one of the problems in shows is, in everyone's shows, is they, sometimes it looks like staging. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, now you have to switch places. We haven't been over here in a while. You know what I mean? So, like, and, and I can't remember, I think it was a really, really brilliant set designer who passed away as a woman who... who sort of taught me about working with designers, a woman named Jane Galt. Um, and uh, 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 she, just, she just, it was the very first time I'd had a set designer on a show. It's 20, 20 years ago now. And, and she just kept saying, well, what, how do they use I kept saying, what if it was this, what if it was this? And she said, well, no, what, in this scene, what are they going to do? What do they use? Where's the door? You know, like, where, 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 what, what do they do in here? And I'm like, oh, well, they do this. And, you know, so it started to become functional. So that was sort of what I was taught, which is, well, form follows function, right? That's who? That's Burnham? Burnham or Sullivan? Mies Van Der Rohe. Der okay. Do you, so when you, do you sit down with the script and then sort of look through what the practical needs of the play are so that you can take that into the design meeting and say, this is what needs to happen in this space? Do you have a, an idea already in mind of what you want the set to look like when you start with your process? I think there's a first impulse. <coughs> I think there's a first impulse you have. Something flashes in your head. Director's here, right? Actors, I mean, the artist here. You have like one little flash of an idea. You say like, the girl's wearing a yellow raincoat or something. I see a girl in a yellow raincoat. Whatever the hell that is, it doesn't have to mean anything yet. You just shouldn't throw that away. You should keep track of that. I just try to keep track of that image. And so, like, I think, like, uh, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of one. No, you um, say that like yeah. everybody does that. But I think everyone but everybody must doesn't have some do that association quite. with something. Right? Yes, but not quite the way you do. Uh, I, I just I, want to sort of mark one of those because okay. we're talking about our own insecurities and we are right in front yeah. of people. And this right. is something that I think you do seemingly <laughs> effortlessly yeah. but quite well. And I know naming it is probably a rough thing to do. But I think you do that very well. And I admire that when I see your work. Okay. That you start with an image. I mean, I remember you actually, there's an image you came with Booth. Yeah, you remember yeah. you crumpled up a piece of paper. <laughs> no, really. Paper, yes. And you put it, but you manifested have. Manifested in the House of Blue Leaves. You have manifested yeah. that in House yeah. of Blue Leaves. It's an idea. If it that doesn't you, work, I keep trying it <laughs> until, yeah. Except that's, um, but uh, why not? Why not yeah. come back? I've got, I've had images that yeah. I've used. I have stuff I've stolen from your plays before. Yeah. 
You did a you did a Betty summer vacation uh, at with Roadworks Theatre Company, yeah. in a very small space, Victory yeah. Gardens, and there's a rape sequence in yeah. there, or at least an abuse sequence. Yeah, no, it's he's raping her. And the the lights the, went yeah. down, and all you but the, there was an outline um, of light coming through the doorway. Yeah, they were in the bedroom. Yeah, all you could see was a vague shadow movement happening behind the light. And the, the bottom of the door. Yeah. And it, it was extraordinarily yeah. vivid because, of course, it triggers your imagination in, in terrible, horrible ways. Yeah. Um, and I, I directed uh, a production of The Rape of Lucretia mm-hmm. at uh, Chicago Opera Theatre and used that image for oh. the, the ultimate sequence. I mean, that's a. Nothing wrong with cannibalizing or stealing ideas, no, no. right? I mean, who, <laughs> who do you go to for inspiration? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I'm not very cultured, so I. I, uh, I no, I'm not very well. My cultural education sort of lazy and sloppy. So, like, I, I was applied for a TCG thing once, like 20 years ago. I went in. It was the director of career development, advancement, something or other. One of these things where they 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 trick you into begging them for money. And uh, uh, and uh, 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 sorry, TCG here. Uh, and uh, uh, and. Uh, God carrying them. God carrying them. And uh, uh, I think I said, like, they said, what are your influences? What are your visual influences? And I said, I think it might be the small house of Uncle Thomas scene from the movie The King. And I said, well, have you studied Thai, you know, theater puppets? And I was like, no, just the small house. I stop at, like, isn't it amazing how potent cheap music is? is, You know, I stop at, I stop at, it's like I get things from television. But, right? I mean, don't you get pop culture? Vanity Fair, you know, like, nice ad in Vanity Fair, you know. Um, I think pop culture is terribly important to, to absorb and stay functional with because that's that's one of the ways. I mean, ultimately, we recognize that we have to do this work for an audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you do need if if there is something that is iconograph- iconographically successful at that point, you should probably investigate it and figure out ways to to reflect it in your art. No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just I just also don't. I just was never. I just, don't have I'm 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 not curious and I was I was I was I was not given a good education I didn't go looking for one <laughs> not having received one I didn't go looking for it so so uh, yeah so I just I don't know but I, I guess I'll go but to the to the to the I want to jump sort of back to the the earlier question because I think it's sort of for everybody and uh, we can go to you too on it too which is I, I do I. I've asked people about it. I think if you force, when I was a teacher for a long time, I would force my students to say, like, no, what was the first thing you thought of? What was the first thing you noticed? And they, they, they would poo-poo it, and they'd go, like, oh, nothing. I didn't think, no, no. What line jumps out at you? And they'd say, oh, that, um, she, that, that the, he said hi, and she didn't say anything back, or something, I mean, randomly. You know, she didn't say hello back. Or something. It's like, okay, okay. So what's that? What does that mean? And you can build. That's the DNA. That's the. That's the. That's the. Um, that's the. You know. That's the nail scraping of the whole thing. <laughs> so that's the approach, which is whatever you thought of first. It's not that you build it all on that, but you say, okay, okay. What was that? What's your reaction to it? Um, uh, I was. I was um, uh, in a show. I was in a production of Long Days During the Night once, and there was sort of this big kind of not argument or anything, but there was this big problem in, in Act... What the fuck is it? Act 4 or something. It's the Jamie Edmund fight. It's a drunken fight in the last scene. And um, when Jamie comes in really, really, really drunk and, and rages at the brother and, and um, the director kept pushing um, uh, the actor playing Jamie to just it's <coughs> vomiting bile all over me. Just vomiting bile all over me. And, uh, and, uh, and I was really resisting this idea because I had to stay there and do this scene. I finally, I just said, I, I just said, Mom, I'd leave. 
Or I'm, he go, or he'd say, why would you leave? I said, because I'm scared he's going to hurt me. And both the, the, um, the director and the other actor went, Jane would never lay a hand on Edmund. And my brother was a bully, so I just associated when your older brother is That's yelling at you, you're going to get hit. And uh, not like beaten up, but I mean, you know, he'd rattle you and shake you around and push you. Um, uh, uh, so it just never occurred to me. So my experience, my only absolute, as far as I was concerned, it was absolutely wrong that he would be yelling at me that much because I had to keep talking, I had to stay in the room, and I was going to get hurt. And everyone else in the room went, there's no evidence that Jamie has ever laid a hand on Edmund. Their whole life has been protecting Edmund. Everyone's always been protecting Edmund all the time. Well, that's the, so it's, it just it's the never. Thing. So it was like. Uh, well, I was just saying so that like, if I was doing that play, uh, my impulse would be this older brother is going to be dead. You know, it's like I mean, I, I then was able to way. adapt to mm-hmm. what there was, but my I had this feeling about it, and if I were directing that play, it would be different because I have that association with brother. Brothers, so it's just going to be something else, and you just have to build on that girl, Neil Orenko, whatever it is. Um, uh, That's interesting in terms yeah. of casting, then, yeah. because in casting you really are looking for somebody who can fit into the world as you define it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I, I I had a similar experience as a director when I was directing Hamlet, my mm-hmm. Gertrude. I had um, right before the play within the play, The Mousetrap. I had um, Hamlet get up publicly and start to try and humiliate Gertrude in front of the court with mm-hmm. Ophelia. Yeah. And the actress playing Gertrude said, I would leave. Yeah. And I said, well, Gertrude doesn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, so that, there's that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Your job is to navigate the difference between the two. But as a director, yeah. as a director, then it, there, it becomes the job, I think, to find the world in which... Y- y- you draw from your own experience yeah. because that's ultimately all we have, isn't it? Yeah. To, to, yeah. To, to, look at, uh, yeah. to look at our own truth. Uh, our experience mm, combined with what the writer wrote, right? I mean, combined, and the experience of the, other, of the other collaborators. Yeah, but I mean, but that's the other thing, which is, which is it is often, you've probably all experienced it in an argument where one of your collaborators wants, says, this is this. I mean, it's me with the saying, I'd leave. Which, first of all, they'd say, y- y- I mean, I think what the director and this other actor were kind of saying to me was, you were only using your own experience there and not mm-hmm. saying, yes, but this is that. Edmund doesn't leave. And yet as director, Edmund, Edmund, it is right? your experience. Edmund. Edmund. Yeah. Yeah. It is your Edward. Yeah. <laughs> Eugene. Yeah. Um, as, um, as director, it's your job to create that exclusively yeah. singular vision of yeah. the show. So let's let's take a look at something like Our Town, for instance, where you have this... Uh, this uh, I think uh, it's closed, so we, we can say that there is a third act reveal where in the, the third act... An elephant comes in. Uh, an elephant walks <laughs> into the room. That, if you and, didn't see it, that's what it was. And, ju- <laughs> and juggles. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hard with that's uh, right. four hard knees. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there is a reveal of... Uh, when Emily goes back in time, you actually took the play, which is yeah. usually done exclusively with ladders. and mm-hmm. Was that your opening image for doing Our, Our Town? Was that no, no, that started? developed in the design process. No, 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 the first. Really? really? <laughs> for those of you at home, this is our third cell phone that has just uh, gone off uh, in an all-theater audience. No, that was... That was... Uh, <laughs> uh, that was... Uh, uh, let's see, what was the... Uh, what was the uh, uh, let's see... Um, you know what? Our, I, I'll, I'll jump to another step. Rather than like talk about our title, I'll talk about the artistic director of that theater, which is a guy named Sean Graney who runs a company called uh, The Hypocrites in Chicago. Asked me to do Our Town. I had no real interest in doing Our Town. 
um, uh, I wanted to do Summer and Smoke, and we went back and forth in the meetings, and, and, and I thought I sort of outranked him. And so I was going to go into this last meeting and say, well, look, I, it's Summer and Smoke or nothing. And he said, well, we're doing our town, so if you'd like to do it, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can. Otherwise, you have to get somebody else. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, he said, uh, he sa- and I said, and I don't even know why I sort of thought this. I said, okay, but I want to play the stage manager. And he said, oh, good. Um, which any other artistic director what? would you, have said. Are you insane? I, yeah. I, here's yeah. why I don't, I think. <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah. But I think you're focused, you know. Um, uh, and they had an ensemble of actors. So, so that was sort of, I thought, so that was the that was the first thing, and it was kind of a not a joke, but it was I don't know what it was. Now I don't know why it was, um, um, uh, but it eventually started meaning something, and um, and I don't know whether this is um, whether this is um, that I created a justification for the idea or whether I figured out what the idea meant. I don't know, and I don't maybe necessarily care to know which mm. that is. Uh, and then I'll also jump to the idea that although I think for myself I like the idea and I think it kind of ended up working uh, uh, structurally and thematically in a way that I, that I, was, that I was happy with. Um, uh, I also worry that, and we probably all experience this while we're working, if you're justifying something, you're creating sort of a line of bullshit to justify something, <laughs> which sounds great in conversation but doesn't work when you're watching it, that's always the danger because they sound the same. <laughs> figuring out why that might have been a good idea or at least a, an interesting idea me playing the stage manager um, uh, I could say the exact same it could have not worked and I could say the exact same thing I said that supposedly did work and there's no telling which is which which is the risk of which is the risk of like I created my line of bullshit and either it, it works or it doesn't work but the, the idea was do we want to talk about why, do I want to talk do you want me to talk about why, why specifically I, it, I, we ended up justifying it yeah sure why oh, not well, I it, mean well, this was I think source inspiration yeah. is always like what's interesting yeah. for working practitioners yeah. you know what I mean right. it's like what yeah. what well this can get how us how do you to, come to that this can get us to the act three reveal and I'll try to do it quickly which is which is um, which is our town seems to have been written to uh, to uh, or one of the things he he seemed to be writing about in the physical production was that he wanted it stripped of artifice. He seemed to want less gack on stage, so he wrote these things like, "Oh, there's going to be no set." And uh, but that's become that's a that's um, an innovation that has now become vocabulary. We're used to that, so it didn't have any impact anymore. So we tried to think about like why that would be. Um, uh, another why that would be how we could continue or push a little farther the idea of strip away, strip away, strip away. So then we took out theatrical lighting, and then we took out sound, and we took out costumes, and we took out all those other things to kind of push it a little bit farther. And then I guess I sort of thought that the stage manager role is not really, and it seems weird to hire someone to pretend they're running the evening. Um, so uh, I thought that if it were me uh, uh, that you have the real audience in the theater and the fake actors on stage and then someone who actually literally does stand in between those two forces which is the director of the play sort of 
lecturing and talking and commenting on and starting scenes and stopping them. And I thought, and it was still, it's still artificial, but it was seemed a little less artificial. Um, and so that led to the whole idea of no artifice, no artifice, no artifice. So we kept stripping artifice away. So that first impulse, and that did lead to the Act 3 reveal, which was the Act 3 reveal, which is after, after a while we felt that we were stripping away, stripping away, stripping away. And then when you get to Act 3, you're going, well, if we've stripped away, are we just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again? Or is something going to change? I mean, if you pull something, if you pull the rubber band long enough, it eventually snaps back. You can't keep pulling it. So we just, so we just sort of thought, like, if we, we keep pulling, we keep pulling, we keep pulling, it's going to snap. And so then we just sort of figured out that uh, since it's, I mean, it's just, it's, and it's, it's the writing. She goes back and she says, oh, I never noticed all this stuff for us. So then we just said, like, okay, then what if we showed all the stuff she never noticed so that the audience could have that experience? And the, so, smell, the smell of food actually cooking, which, of course, is such a sens- sensual right. experience, a sensorial experience. Yeah. And that, well, that's a pretty conventional But, but the line, line is, okay, but the line is, <laughs> right, right. But what if it hadn't worked? But then you, you know what I mean. But I mean, I would have said all the same shit. Yes. But it might not have worked. And the bacon was easy because she just says, "Chew this bacon good and slow." You're like, "Well, we have no choice." We have to <laughs> well, no. and uh, we, we cycle back to the beginning of our conversation yeah. in a way, which is 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 who determines whether our work actually works or not, mm-hmm. whether we manage to pull it off. Right. I mean, it's it's you know, it's one person's terrorist is another person's freedom. Fight, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's it, it sort of really it becomes all a function of definition. How do you evaluate what is successful for you and what is not successful for you? I think, unfortunately, it really does have to do with with levels of praise. It just does, and it's a, it's nothing I'm proud of. It's nothing I think is healthy. It's nothing I like about myself. But it's like if enough people tell me I'm pretty, I think, oh, I look nice today. You know, <laughs> I just do. It's, I'm not like I said. I you know, it's like it's. Uh, it just is. I don't know. I suppose I should work on it or something, you know? Uh, uh, I mean, it seems to be working, so... But the, thing about not, but the thing about saying you don't... the thing I want to go back to something I was saying earlier, but the thing about saying you don't, so one, when people have to, understandably, uh, as a way to protect themselves, say, you know, I don't care, I don't care whether it, it works or not. I'm just in it for the work. An actor tries a choice in rehearsal and then looks at you, the director, and says... Yes or no, kind of, you know, or to themselves or the other actor or something like that. I s- offer an idea. I say, like, you know, what if you went over there? And they try it and they go, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they go, it's so right over there. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're looking for a yes. Otherwise, you do it at home, you know? My friend... Uh, well, I was about to yeah. say, I mean, I don't think the notion of being, um, allowing your sense of, of success or failure on your art to be in direct response to how people respond to it mm-hmm. is necessarily a bad thing. On the other hand, we, we all, because that's why we do it. But on the other hand, there are plays that you put on sometimes that you know are going to challenge your audience in difficult mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. And their, their response is not going to be initially favorable because you're putting them through a difficult evening in mm-hmm. the theater. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that sort of depends on what sort of place you're working you know, in terms of uh, the theater itself, right? The you can. Uh, Michael and I. Are, uh, we were at the Fitch Handler thing. Gary Griffin, who's another director from Chicago who works here a lot, uh, uh, said something. Um, there was sort of the New York Chicago conversation was going on, which is sort of the two cities and their ego issues with each other. You know, and um, okay, our ego issue with you guys, and uh, and uh, and uh, and. Uh, uh, <laughs> And Gary said, Gary said, 
what, could everyone just remember that there's a fundamental difference between the two cities, which is New York is largely run by commercial theater. There's tons of not-for-profit. But the proportion of the, the dominant idea, business-wise, of theater in this city is commercial theater. And the dominant idea of theater in Chicago is not-for-profit theater. For-profit and not-for-profit. Hmm. So very, there is overlap in those audiences, but they are, they are different animals. Do you think that's fair to say? Yes. Yes. They're wildly different animals. So they're just, so the idea, so it is in many ways apples and oranges. We've spent most of our lives in not-for-profit, and it's, it's, it's the considerations are not the same. The consideration that, that like, if it isn't satisfying to a large audience immediately, it will close is not in our... Yes, that's true. I mean, yeah. there is a crossover in that I think no commercial producer goes into putting on a play because they think exclusi- exclusively because they think they're going to make money on it. I think there's a hope, but Those I think... Those people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to... I well, you mean, know, you the, have the, to start you with know the, how to make a small fortune you have in the theater? You have to start with a dream of... of no, what's that? You know the joke? Is no, the, what is it? How the to secret make? to making a small fortune in the theater? No. Okay, you start with a large fortune. <laughs> It's like Bernie Solins told me that. Right? Louise. Well, G- actually, Gary said this to me yeah. once. He said, you don't, when I was sort of poo-pooing commercial theater way back when, when I was mm. naive and didn't want to work for yeah, one. The- um, uh, he said, do you really think that producers don't also start with a notion of loving, yeah. having a passion about the project yeah, that they yeah. want to produce? Yeah. And then they hope that they will mm. make money on it. The, the difference is the bottom line is that is the closing night may come a lot sooner than it does. Whereas a not for profit yeah. yeah. actually runs for a series of subscribe for a subscriber. And when I, when I'm choosing a season at Writers Theatre, at least I want to have a, a uh, variegated conversation with my audience, mm-hmm. um, and I want to to ask the audience questions that they would not necessarily ask themselves. So I'm going to ask them to come and see the maids, mm-hmm. and then at the same time I'm going to give them Oak Howard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that there'll be a balance between uh, their experience over the course of the year, and hopefully our subscribers will look at the total conversation, yeah. the collective of plays and how they come together. Right. Um, which means that we do actually get to take... Uh, I don't know, do you think the risk-taking in Chicago is more than it is in New York? I don't know. I, I mean, you know can't I, answer I that question without being true. pejorative, right? And I it's don't not, know. Yeah, no, it's I not know. useful even, maybe. Right. I would say no. I would say the level of risk-taking uh, in, in all realm of the art is, is based entirely on the individual, you know? Um, um, uh, and there's people, who, there's people with enormous amount of uh, uh, business savvy and aggression who, don't, who are sort of not, not necessarily artistically strong. There's people who are very artistically strong who will destroy businesses, you know, decimate, <laughs> decimate organizations as they go and everything in between and throw money down the drain and everything in between. No, I don't think that, but I think there's a fundamental difference between the idea of like what, well, no, you're, no, one's going to, no one should do a commercial production of The Maids on Broadway. Um, Why not? Except when they should. Except when, except, you're right. Except when they should. Except when they should. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I always rage against this thing, one must. One yeah, must never. You know what I mean? Must. We should, theater must. Yeah, you can never, you can never. I'm always based on this thing that somebody said on, you know, MSNBC or something last year during the election. It was June. 
or two years ago, in 98, during the election, it was June, and, um, and they said, um, somebody said, um, uh, okay, so, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's ahead in the polls, or something. they were discussing the polls, and they went around the table, and Chris Matthews or whoever said, okay, you know, blah, 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 who's going to win? And he said, well, the candidate who is ahead in the polls in the third week of June um, uh, in an election year always wins the White House, except in those cases when he doesn't. <laughs> So there's no rule. So there's no rule. I mean, you if know, we could define a 13 one. character play where almost everyone is over 50 uh, about people in Oklahoma screaming at each other should not have run for two years on Broadway, except mm-hmm. when it does. Yeah. And win the Pulitzer Prize and be like the most important American play of the decade, yeah. except when it does. You yeah. know. Um, yeah, or a, a yeah. musical about a man who puts, chops people up and puts them into pies. Yes, that exactly. Does, exactly. It doesn't yeah. sound like a good idea at mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. On, on the page. <laughs> no. Um, uh, so what about working with new work versus classics for you? I've very limited experience with it, so I'm, I, I, don't, I can't speak to it. You like wide. the classics? Well, I, I'm scared of new work because, uh, because uh, there's too much, uh, too much, um, there's too much, I'm lazy and there's too much work to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I mean, I'm not trying to be cute. I, I, honestly, I, I think I'm scared of going into, uh, of spending a lot of time with new works. I think it's, um... I think it's daunting. I think there's too many. There's maybe too many cooks. It's um. It's um. It's um. I guess it's something I avoid, and therefore I guess it's something that uh, will hold me back because um, uh, uh, you we have to be you know we have to be creating new work, and I just don't do it enough. Hmm. So. I, I, I have really enjoyed... We've started investigating yeah. new work in the last five right. or ten years at Writers Theatre, and I've really enjoyed the process of having a living playwright in the room. Um, I mean, you, you, you want to... Um, you want to say that there's no difference. Mm-hmm. And in your... I, I think... When we're trying to talk to our audiences about it, sometimes mm-hmm. we say that there's no difference, but there really is a significant difference because when you're doing new work, you're actually tr- creating a tradition. Yeah, yeah. Wh- whereas when you're, um, and, and I suppose, I mean, what you said about Our Town, I, I think, is terribly, terribly interesting. That you take a look at what these iconic productions that scar into our consciousness, and that we think, therefore, that we must be confined by and recreate when mm-hmm. we're reviving classics. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in 1950 something, I think it was Tyrone Guthrie who decided that Act Three, Scene Two, in Midsummer Night's Dream, had far too much uh, uh, rhetoric mm-hmm. between the lovers, and so he was going to soup it up with physical comedy. Mm-hmm. And he made that scene in the woods about slapstick. Mm-hmm. And now you go to lots of productions where everybody says, well, this is how you have to do Act 3, Scene 2 of Midsummer Night's yeah. Dream. Instead of having somebody who says, well, what actually if we have these people actually talk to each other yeah. like human beings and yeah. see what would happen if these kids were under the power of some love potion that made them forget who they were and what they wanted? How would they really function? Mm-hmm. This is actually quite a serious scene. And uh, <coughs> Oberon... Uh, it, it, Needs to be furious with Puck, not for um, uh, making these 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 characters just do a lot of physical shtick, mm-hmm. but to actually watch them almost tear into and destroy each other's lives. Mm-hmm. It's a much more serious play at the core. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Glass Menagerie. We have an idea of what we think Lorette Taylor was like. Yeah, yeah. 
um, and that we need to, to, to try and recreate that. There's one person left on all that chat who's seen her. All in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, streetcar. You've got uh, the streetcar. I mean, I yeah. thought it was very interesting the dialogue that we had about the Marlon Brando, Vivian Lee. It's not to say that, you know, it's not to invalidate that production. It's yeah. an iconic and stunning production. Yeah. But it's to say, what if we don't let that yeah. be necessarily the defining conversation uh-huh. in reinvestigating the play? New work, you're actually creating that first production. Yeah, yeah. You're putting the iconography out there in, in some ways. You're also responsible. I, I find the responsibility enormous working with the playwright. I work with um, Che Yu, who is now the incoming artistic director at Victory Gardens, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, what a, 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 a fantastic guy with an enormous network of um, uh, writers yeah. uh, and a great... He, always, he said that he believed that the first staging of a writer's show, a new, new play, should be as the writer sees it. Huh. Yeah. If they don't get seen, it's funny because I work with um, a wonderful playwright called Evan Smith who has a very specific stage direction about a play he wrote called The Uneasy Chair where yeah. that, they're in a house at the beginning that gets smaller over the, yeah. the course of the evening. And he's never seen that realized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, wanted to, he's always wanted to see what would happen if that idea happened on the stage. And I always think playwrights need to be protected from themselves sometimes. It's a balance, yeah. right? Because sometimes yeah. those ideas, maybe that would be a bad idea. No, that, I, I understand that sounds very nasty and very sort of like no. adversarial. But like, but like there's, a, there's on some level, playwrights need to be protected from themselves. Because I realized this, working with a couple of playwrights, when I was sort of shocked sometimes by how little they knew about acting and stuff. And I was kind of mad. These people, these people of the theater you know, or directing, and I realize I don't know crap about playwriting. You know what I mean? We all live in our little boxes. Do you know what I mean? So, like, this person has to protect me. The playwright has to protect me from what I don't know about playwriting. <laughs> you know, with, what if they said this? And vice versa, you know? And to protect them from that. Yeah. I gave Evan unfettered access to the rehearsal process yeah. for world premiere of Savannah Disputation. Um, uh, and he, he came in on the first day, and he wanted... Uh, when we were standing up, he said, no, this is the way this is supposed to go. Mm-hmm. This is our first day of rehearsal. But I let him talk us through the entire play because I felt like it was the gift was having the man in the room. Who could, could, mm-hmm. It would be, was going to be difficult for the actors, but at least to hear what the final vision of what it was he wanted. Mm-hmm. And then I sent him away. And when he came back, he said something very, very interesting. He said, you know, I've discovered that if I come in and tell you what I think is wrong with the scene, mm-hmm. and then I leave... Mm-hmm. It's much, you, you guys figure it out and you make it work better much more efficiently than if I'm standing here telling you what mm-hmm. to do. Okay, yeah. So that was an interesting experience of working with a, a, a sort of a playwright who knows what he wants to see but doesn't necessarily have the vocabulary to talk to actors to help them make the discovery. Your theater, Michael's theater, started out, I mean, it's, it's, it, it ultimately it started with its focus on classic literature. So it was all dead people. Always. Like, when did the transition to new? When, when you know, did the transition to new work start? It, it wasn't that we all because we were always a writers' theatre. We wanted to do new work. We just felt like felt like I didn't. We didn't have the facilities to be able to nurture new work. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you really need you need a dramaturg in the room. Um, you need to give the writer. You need to be flying them in and out. You need to be able mm-hmm. to provide workshops. Mm-hmm. The, you, there needs to be an enormous amount of funding yeah. going into non-product yeah. or yeah. like. Well, look, yeah. we're yeah. sitting here yeah. actually yeah. at one of the most amazing, valuable resources in the United States of America. If you look at the output of Playwrights Horizons mm-hmm. uh, and the kind of risk-taking that this organization takes in New York on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, um, 
we did not have that kind of sophistication. We did have a very good writer as a founding artistic director, Marilyn Campbell, yeah, right. and, and she created an enormous amount of adaptation mm-hmm. over the years. But we really wanted to wait until we were able to be we, we were sophisticated enough to actually start bringing new work in. Another I'm thing that I do with this three-person crime and punishment that's been playing all over the country for the last couple of years, that's Michael's, Marilyn Campbell and Kurt Columbus's uh, show, and that was developed at Michael's Theater. Um, I, I'm sorry. No, no, please. Um, uh, we did also, another thing that I think is really important, we have over the years done a lot of second productions, and mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, I think we've got world premieritis as, a, as an industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people have great play- uh, uh, It was Tim Sanford was giving me the names of three or four plays that uh, have had enormous successes here at Playwrights Horizons, yeah. but have not yet been picked up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's a... Uh, I mean that could be a result of funding, but that this starts to now this conversation starts to devolve into into TCG conference talks. So yeah, I'll, that's, I'll, right. I'll, I'll, that's right. <laughs> we'll be on marketing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know what they say: if it isn't marketing, it's development. Do you you have uh, do you have any interest in running an institution? No, God, no, no, no. Do you? No, no you already do. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Not for the past two so months. So stupid, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's a that's a thing. That's a thing that comes up. I mean, w- uh, um, uh, you're. Would do you think of yourself as an artistic director who directs or a director who runs an organization? I think of myself as an actor who has done the right. an artistic right. director. <laughs> yes, I think you're yeah, an actor who they, they, have, they decided we were too short, yeah. so we had to start directing. <laughs> you got my job. <laughs> no, <but yeah. laughs> we come full circle right down back down to, to the, the beginning. Oh, well, down to the death the of Zucasti at the King Arthur's Theatre. Damn you, Lord Columbus. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> It's, I mean, I, I actually do still think of myself, and maybe even more so as an actor who directs, yeah. who runs an institution. Okay. I, I started a theatre company to protect artists uh-huh. from institutional <laughs> yeah. theatre. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm blessed in that I have a staff who shares that vision. Uh-huh. So we actually do have an environment in which I think art can thrive because that's the bottom line of every conversation that we have in the organization. Mm-hmm. But that's an act from an actor's perspective, really. Yeah. I direct from an actor's perspective. Yeah. I think you do too, to some degree, don't you? Yes. And then I also think that, you know, we all need to be protected from, you know what I mean? Like there, there, there always has to be this balance because this is, if you always direct from an actor's perspective, then the show's four hours long and, and, every, and every moment. And I know that sounds nasty, but every moment's the most important moment in the world. I mean, uh, um, uh, but uh, that's as an yeah. actor, you know yeah. that when you're directing. Yeah. So you have yeah. to sort of. You also have to go through that week of rehearsals where you let the actor mm-hmm. be really self-indulgent yeah. before you start pushing for. I can't follow. I can't hear. Uh, I need you know diction, etc. Oh, that's that's tricky. And that's not a perk. because sometimes I find myself. In, Depending on the actor, like riding them the whole time to not get there. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's so hard to take the, take it away from them. If it's like, I can't possibly walk all the way to the fireplaces. Where, you know, <laughs> Michael directed a show at his theater where uh, where um, we're on the postage stamp stage on the very small stage, and the fireplace is is here. <laughs> we're here, and you, you said, so "Can you get up to the mantle there?" I can't. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get all the way up. There. <laughs> Distances adapt based on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you don't. 
I must have given a horrific answer. I find now that I am very... Get up there! <laughs> yes, you can. And I did. And I went up I find now, though, I am much more tolerant of an actor's neuroses than I was when I was starting out as a director because mm. I feel like that's all they have when push comes to shove. Yeah. And if, if they need to be precious about something in a rehearsal mm-hmm. room, then it's my job to facilitate that as long as it's not um, obscuring them from doing better work. I, th- I figured out one, one sort of, I think, clever thing about... about talking to actors once, which is I used to teach direct, I used to teach at Columbia College in Chicago for a long time and I taught directing, taught the directing class and, and sometimes the actor, the directing students would come, we, they were working on a scene outside of class all along and sometimes they'd show the rehearsals of class and they'd say like, how do you, how do you get, you know, it's like, well I'm having trouble with this, like getting this to sort of speed up here, I'm, how do you get the actor to, whatever they were going to say, what, how do you get the actor to, to, to leap on, to do this, how do I get the actor to do this and I, and I, I I realized there was this whole sort of myth that you're supposed to kind of cleverly manipulate people into doing things, you know? And, and I said, did you try asking them? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, as pompous and sort of snotty as that sounds, it was like, you know, I, I went home and I thought, oh, that's actually true. Why don't we just ask? Why don't we just say what the Good thing actors is. can always navigate their way to, to can you get to upstage at the table? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you're not asking something unreasonable yeah. or that is contrary to the text. Yeah. I can, but it says here uh, in the text, look at us two sitting here yes, on the ground. that's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you say, yes, yes, I yes, thought, I thought yes. about subverting that. That's why. I, <laughs> it's, not, it's not that I just I know. fucking read it. <laughs> no, I know that. We know that. <laughs> I don't know Look, it's a choice. Just go with it this once. (laughs) Oh God, it's so awful. Right, and so the but the so the balance is maybe like I mean I think we're both we're both I I I was trying to announce like I'm always going to ride the actor. You're always going to let them go. I mean I think the truth has got to lie somewhere in between, right? Where you say like, yeah, try that. I'm worried about how much time it's taking here, but we can talk about that later. Or. Or even if it's not getting my way, maybe it's more like saying, okay, I guess, I guess my reaction to that is this takes a while. And not even that I'm right, but just like that, that my reaction is that takes a while. And then someone in the room goes, oh, it doesn't bother me. And then you go, okay, you know. Um, Confrontation becomes important in those scenarios eventually, though, if you're going to have that difficult conversation, because you do have to sometimes have a conversation with an actor about yeah. a difficult choice, is there is the point at which you can't allow self-indulgence to cross over into mm. the into the the experience. Mm. I mean, Ambo got yeah. says that when you the point in time when you have to start making decisions, it's a very violent mm-hmm. series, of, and yeah. it is actually yeah. quite violent to yeah. have to make. No, I need this. Yeah, but I do believe you have to respect where the actor is coming yeah, from. Yeah. Ma- Mark Kudish is a fantastic uh, talker. Mm. He always needs to talk through where right. he's going, and if you give if you give him enough time, he will be able to talk through his process mm. whereas Kate and Bobby Kate Fry and Bobby Steggert who are both uh, playing Canada and Marchmakes respectively uh, mm. um, um, do not need to talk yeah. and actually just want to do yeah yeah. so, so you, you find that out and you have to listen and find that out yeah. exactly Edie, Edie never discusses it she never explains it she says what do you want or this is this she just tries things and you know, there's never a conversation about it. And there's some, one thing that you heard I thought was marvelous uh, and has been very, very useful. I think we've talked about this quite a few times before. Is there are some things that you just don't want to know oh, yeah. 
from the actor. Yeah. You know, I have no interest in knowing what Tom, the actor playing Tom, means when he says, blow out your candle, Laura. Yeah. That's his. Yeah. Just as so long as I can hear the words and that I know he's made a choice. Yeah. Same with, I, I don't want to know what the secret in uh, Marchbank's heart is at the yeah. end of the play. That's, yeah. that's his moment. Yeah. And there's something about if you endlessly talk about these things in rehearsal, that you then suddenly you get a very academic and intellectual experience on the stage. Well, and the other thing, the other the other part of that is those are those are really good examples of things that are really for the audience to determine. But like one of the big things you realize after a while is all of this work we're doing is really only going to be it's just we're just presenting it so the audience can see a girl in a yellow raincoat you know what i mean or whatever so, so that so that they can so that the, the an audience is going to make their own we cannot control the message as hard as we think we can or as well as we think we can we actually have no control over the message and we have no control of the reaction which actually goes to the review thing too which is we can only do it and let people respond to it and they're only going to hear and see what they want to hear and see yes. you know i'll say i'll say there are, you know, in very simple ways, there's, say, different kinds of people react to stories in different ways. There are people who see a play like House of Blue Leaves and say, I don't like that character, he's mean. And then there's people who say, I understand why that guy's mean. And I don't mind, care whether I like him or not. I, I recognize that behavior. And neither is n- n- neither is, is is better or, or worse. They just are completely different things. So there's some people who say that plays too mean, and then there's people who say, like, "Wow, it's so interesting how mean that play is." You know? Don't you find um, that? And that's something. This is something that we do a lot, and that we talk about a lot, and we talk about when we see each other's work. Um, that's partly comes down to self-observation. Is you look at your own mode of behavior, you extract it somehow and reflect it in the work that you're seeing, but you don't judge it. As soon as you place a judgment call on a mode of behavior in a play, then you are starting to try and um, guide the audience in places where I think they need to come to their own conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. If I've decided that, that Henry Higgins is an asshole... Yeah. When I'm doing, then people absolutely aren't going to like him. But if I'm going to explore my own behavior yeah. in helping the actor come to a realization of how this man is just sort of really very rude to people when he walks yeah. into a room, but we'll find a way that makes it work for him so yeah. that he understands. Or the, 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 I mean, the only way when an audience can have reactions is if they're never rude to anyone. That's the only way they can say, well, I don't like him, he's terribly rude. I'm lovely to everyone all the time. Yes. Which is, which is, which is, but there's a balance, uh, isn't there? I mean, you have to find that balance between... Don't you find you sometimes come to confrontation and rehearse with an actor who's trying to fix a character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, had, a, I was, um, had an actress, we were doing Benefactors, four-play Michael... Uh, four-character Michael Frame play... Um, and this woman essentially has lied, just lied to her husband, possibly for the first time in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And he confronts her, and she has a response, essentially, all right. Uh, uh, and the actress started doing that. All right, I did know. I'm sorry. Can, can I have my supper now? I'm paraphrasing. I, I did know. I said, why, why are you doing that? She said, well, I'm, I'm, he's just confronted him. I'm trying to tell him that I said, take away all that sentiment mm. and just say the words. See what happens. Mm. What, with nothing? Well, no, not with nothing. Just take, <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> take away the sentiment and be, be yeah. more direct. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. I did know. I'm sorry. Can I have my supper now? Is there anything else? Yeah. I did know. 
you want me to do it like that? And I said, yeah, that was fantastic. She said, but how how is this conducive to a good relationship? That's that's what I like in a play. Good, healthy relationship. (laughs) That's why we're here, after all. You know, there was a version... That's what television is for. There's a... Right... I love television, but that's what television is. You watch too much television. No, no, no such thing, no such thing. Now, I hasten to go and say this. Yeah. This actress gave the performance of her life to yeah, 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 in that, yeah, in that yeah, play. Yeah. was brilliantly mm. unsentimental and, and guided it through. But there is that point at which when you're drawing on yourself so much that you start to confuse yourself with the character, mm. and then you want to show that character in the best possible light. Yeah. I saw a production of Journey's End, mm-hmm. where at the end of the play, you know, he has to make that kid hate him yeah. to save his life. Yeah. And the actor playing it the role at one point, reached out to him. It's not in the script. Reached yeah. out to him with a big sympathetic expression on his face as if to show, I care! And then I watched him yeah. mask and pull back because he yeah. wanted the audience not to think that he was an asshole. Yeah. And the play was ruined yeah. Yeah. in the last sections. In terms of an actor wanting to fix character, I think we're always in danger. I mean, I got generally or chose to only hear the the praise for the Act Three decision in our town, but like you could just as easily, there there are passionate advocates for you were do, that is inappropriate to the play, mm. that is not the intention, and you are attempting to impose something or fix or do something or say something that isn't there, and I contend that I'm always just trying to do what's there and to break the, you know, split the atom and let all the energy out of just what's there. Uh, uh, and that's sort of my little version of my, my reality. But we, can, we are always in danger of fixing something with our ideas. You know, of like, I have this thing, I, it's going to be pure to the thing, but ultimately you're just not just imposing something, but trying to make it something it isn't, or, or write your own play on top of somebody else's play, which is also a terrible, terrible thing. So how do you so, gauge to navigate? I mean, how do you well, navigate? I suppose that comes into you have... I like to think the level of insecurity and self-doubt is part of that. I, I, I think you've got, always got to be going, am I full of shit here? I don't know whether that's healthy or not or whether it's productive, but I, 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 you know, people say, why don't you just let yourself, you know, it's like, no, don't let yourself off the hook. I don't know. I, I think you've got to be trying, everyone's got to tr- be trying to call bullshit on everything all the time. Now, that said, we can say that and say that and say that and say that and say that, and we live, I live in fear of being called out. I live in mortal, and that's why maybe I was so upset about the reviews, because maybe I was being called out, and I live in, I'm too thin-skinned for that. This is, I'm sorry, me, 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 here's how I feel, I'm sorry, but... Um, <laughs> I think that's the point uh, of the discussion. Uh, so. <laughs> With me, that's the point of every discussion. Yeah. Uh, 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 I, I, was, I wasn't listening. You know, I was right. thinking about me. Right. <laughs> I was thinking about what I was going to say next. I had a terribly clever thing. I said rehearsal once. I was going to report. Um, uh, no, I mean, I, I guess part of it is it's all connected. You know what I mean? So it's, it's not a matter of saying I need to stop doing this in the process. It's an issue of saying, I do this in the process. Is this of any use? Why is it? When do I call on it? When do I not call on it? And that's with actors. That's everything. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, 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 I, think, I think everyone has to do that. So I feel like maybe more than anything, that's the kind of environment 
You always want to try to create. You, I think you and I have that when we're working, when, when I'm working at your, the, when you're artistic directing the show I'm directing, you know, that, that we're, we're, we're always, uh, I may want this because uh, I'm trying to compensate. I, I may do this, you know, I may want this choice right now, Michael, because I'm trying to compensate because I feel bad about House of Beliefs or something like that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, um, well, that's partly about yeah. creating a vocabulary then with artists that you trust. I mean, I, yeah. you have, uh, we, I have flown you in to come yeah. and see shows yeah. that, we, that I've done elsewhere yeah. to get a perspective. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's partly what you said at the beginning, that having us come to each other's work to take an about a look at it. I, I like to think that, yes, we're going to nurture each other's choices because we're often at a point where, yeah. you know, you can't come in and say, the set's not working. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right. Can, can you get yeah, a can different you, set? Right. Yeah. You just need a different set, yeah. Grant um, me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, change the things I can, and the wisdom always to know the difference. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, that's part of giving that good advice. More than you think. You don't want to come in. I, it yeah. just horrifies me when somebody comes in at, at a point, delicate point in the process, and I do seek out. Um, a, um, I was about to say approval, but I was that's actually right. looking right. I for. Do seek approval. <laughs> I was looking for. I do seek out advice, but it came out approval. <laughs> um, John Dudwood said, "Does this show make my ass look big?" <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> In fact. Um, it's, I do seek out advice. The, the most horrifying advice, and I think maybe this is something for everybody to think about when you're going in to give your friends advice and yeah. supporting them, is, is give, do give them things that they could deal with. Somebody come in and say, well, that guy, you know, your lead just isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to change that how at this point. Yeah. yeah, do you think people will really take him seriously in this role? No, no, no you're right. <laughs> what an idiot what I am. An idiot. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you, yeah. But, I mean, you usually... It's, what was the... Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's the ability to come in and give tangible amounts of change uh, uh, at the right point in the process uh, yeah. that, that you can actually digest yeah. and it will actually be useful to your friends. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then a lot of praise and nurture, because God knows when you're putting yourself out there um, in, in such a big way, you do need that. Yeah. I think that's really important, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, that's a bit, yeah, like what, what can you do? What can we do about that? But that's, and that goes even to, like, initial choices. But that goes to initial choices, which is, we're in this space with this play. We have access to these people. How do we make this all look like, even some of them which are limitations, how do we make this look like it's a great idea, that it was the only way to do it, you know? How do we make these things, these things look inevitable? In a way, I mean, maybe the admin would kill you, but I think it's the thing that, makes, that actually would make, make you a very good artistic director, is I think you are, you are good at that. I like to think I am good at that, too. I don't is like to reading come plays. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like reading plays? I don't plays. like reading plays. <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, or talking to people. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, that would be a problem. Yeah, that'd be perfect, yeah. <laughs> I had uh, 
actually, it was, I, I'm going to tell a story on three actors. I'm going to name names, just but they are three actors who do not relish the idea of interacting with um, with audiences yeah, yeah. terribly much. Yeah. Scott Parkinson, Susan Bennett, and John Judd yeah. did were fantastic in Crime and Punishment. In the one my development department wanted yeah. me to do a a dinner with the actors. Yeah. Yeah. I was just sort of imagining the black hole that would be created at that. Time. <laughs> it is sometimes the wrong, but. Um, the other thing I'd like to think is that you also would, if you came in at a point where the play was about to fall off a precipice, you yeah. would be able to stand up straight and say, Michael, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a... Do you have others that you can go to? I mean, you're not short for advice when you're directing a Broadway play, I assume. No, no, but they were very good to me on this one. People didn't bother me very much, and there was this great rule, which is that no producers could speak to me except Scott. Which is really great. Not I think that's single. Im- yeah, that's important to yeah. an institution, yeah. though, right? I mean, if you've got everybody with their yellow pads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, you know, no. I think every time I get into previews, I think crap. I don't have enough friends coming in. I don't know how. That's something that, like you, me, Kurt. You know, like a bunch of th- th- that. That that um, that uh, directing. You know, as you can imagine, is a very lonely job. There's generally only one in the room. Uh, uh, there's almost no circumstances in which a bunch of directors work together. Um, you can have groups of friends. You're generally in competition for each other. I mean, it's like actors hang out more because they're always at auditions. You and I met at an audition. Actors all meet at an audition or in a class, and they all know each other. They meet doing a show together. And so this community gets created of that. I don't know how playwrights work, but directors are generally alone. So a support structure for that is difficult. It's very, very difficult. And it's difficult to create and it's difficult to maintain. So I always worry whether, you know, whether there are en- uh, 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 whether I sort of have enough of them or whether I've, or worse, whether I've, um, I don't know what you find. Like, I don't know who you generally have come in because I don't, because I'm not well, I actually anymore. Have, so I, who do you? I mean, I've had, my, my employers have been great. I have to say, Ira yeah. Weitzman and, yeah. and Andre Bishop said yeah. exactly the right thing at exactly the right time, yeah. Yeah. almost every step of the way. Yeah. Um, I brought a lot of friends in to come and give yeah. me advice on this over the course of yeah. previews. And I have to say, I got horrifying advice. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And, and realized at a certain point that actually it was not terribly useful. Yeah. That the people who n- knew from the beginning what the process had been or had seen it or knew my work, mm. that was the most useful advice. Yeah. I was at a play reading the other night of a brand, brand new play um, uh, called uh, Leroy, Leroy, Leroy. Um, um, and, uh, uh, and it was really, really incredibly interesting. It was a room full of sort of writers and artists. And, and I just thought to myself, and there was a short Q&A afterwards, and, and I sort of didn't, you know, there's the joke: the three great motivators, food, sex, and the desire to rewrite somebody else's play. And uh, uh, and uh, the the uh, and so I was trying to keep my my crap to myself, but I realized this was a room full of people who had just watched one reading of a play, and everyone had advice on what it needed to be. And I thought, oh crap! Like like you you can't listen to any of this. Least of all me, you know. You just can't listen to any of this. It's. Uh, we have to. Uh, all right. So I, wh- you know, I, what I, actually, I have a, a lovely way to wrap up to bring us full circle. Was in terms of the fact that I think we're both. Um, I would encourage directors who are moving forward in their careers uh, to place their focus squarely on the vision that they initiated the piece with, mm-hmm. and, and and bring that to uh, mm-hmm. bring that to the table. Bring, that's what and allow everything in terms of the collaborative process to inform that drive. Mm-hmm. 
and understand that people need to people your collaborators need to understand why your communication interaction yeah. of what it is that you're trying to do is very very important mm-hmm. and then at the end of it that P.T. Barnum quote which I think is is lovely that you always use you can't uh, about Barnum. audiences if they don't want to come oh no I, there was a big discussion about who that is it's 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 um it might be uh, Yogi Bear or someone like that. If they don't want to come out to the ballpark, you can't stop them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> great, a great yeah. advice to, I That's think, right. carry forward into, uh, into yeah. your work. Thank you very much for taking so much time to be with us and listening to us. Thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from the Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.